Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Tara and today I am really thrilled to have someone I've followed for a long time, Ash Curry, with me, who is going to talk about OCD today. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Ash Curry. I am now just turned 54 of age, a grandfather. Uh, I've got two grown-up children. Uh, I've worked avidly for the last 19 years raising awareness about obsessive compulsive disorder. And during that time, we've discovered that, um, especially in mums, there's there can be onset OCD during the perinatal stages. And also there's a reported case yes. of the fathers. So, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate on my journey that I've recovered, but also um, I've been fortunate to work with uh, leading um, OCD experts, Paul Salkoskas, uh, David Thiel, um, Dr. Rob Wilson. Um, yeah, just raising awareness and doing research projects. Which I think is so important because um, one of the things I was going to ask you about today actually is that sometimes people throw around the word OCD. So I'm wondering if we could start a little bit with kind of what it is, whether you can kind of summarise for us what your views are on OCD as a diagnosis. And, and sometimes it's, I feel, overuse sometimes that people can throw that term around and whether it sometimes waters down what it is for those people who experience it. Unfortunately, um educationally wise not everyone is aware of the severity of um yes, yeah so although sometimes it's not intentional um using flippant terms like oh i'm a little bit ocd yeah. today actually is, is is incorrect it's if you, you can't be a little bit ocd i think the only time you can be a yes. little bit ocd is when your ocd starts to creep back in again um you know if you've yes. been diagnosed and you've made recovery and then it comes back yeah it can it can cause a lot of stigma um people then step back further because they feel that if they have got OCD or believe they have OCD, they're least likely to step forward for help if if the if it's used inadvertently in a stigmatic way. Yeah. Yeah. That it's that coming forward. I guess part of me doing this podcast is trying to raise awareness of different topics, different life journeys, um, to hopefully help maybe that even if there's just one person that listens and goes, that is me, and maybe I will then step outside some of those worries and seek help um, because there is help out there isn't there and people like yourselves who are involved in research and letting people know what that help can look like and how it can impact your life so are you comfortable telling us a little bit about your background your journey absolutely yeah. I, I uh i didn't get diagnosed till i was 35 which isn't uncommon right. um on average yeah. and it can take people up to 12 years before they reach out for help the problem right. there is the, the 12 years you can end up getting a lot of collaborative damage, not going to school, loss of education, um, not having yes. children. My OCD started around about the age of six. Um, and although I didn't know it was OCD, um, I had fears that and images that I would um, smash my face on the wall at night time. So I'd have to right. have the pillow a certain distance away from the wall. And because I couldn't get that just right feeling, I'd normally end up sleeping on the floor. Um even then, it sort of become quite secretive. We, we do hide it well. 
Um, my mum used to say, why do you sleep on the floor? And the actual answer was because um, I find it more comfortable. Bear in fact, it's because I was scared of harming myself yeah. in my sleep. Um, going on to sort of into double figures, age 10, 11, um, my mum said that she I was supposed to be a girl because she had four boys and I was the last of four boys. Now, saying things, which is quite normal, is a bit of fun, or you were supposed to be a girl, that triggered my OCD, which led on to me checking my body for female signs, breasts, whether I was oh, actually right. a female yes. inside uh, uh, a boy's body. I actually wasn't, um, but the power of OCD leads on to checking to make, you know, getting that, you know, that certainty that you aren't this person. You know the compulsions are wrong, but you continue to do them and get that temporary relief, which is only a vicious yes. circle. Around the age of uh, 14, 15, I had quite severe health anxiety. Well, actually, it probably was more OCD than uh, um, um, health anxiety because I had a lot of fear of dying, so that was attached to. So a mole that was quite normal was actually had to be checked several times by a doctor. Unfortunately, uh, 35 years ago, um, the opportunities wasn't so great there. The knowledge of OCD wasn't so high up as what it is now, where that would have been a great opportunity for my GP to um, say, actually, I think you're suffering with OCD. Actually, uh, you know, I was just repetitively getting uh, visits to the doctor to get, get reassurance. But obviously, like people with a fear of HIV, they'll have blood tests, and that blood test is just a compulsion. It's just a repetitive yeah. circle. Uh, age 16, I had a girlfriend who was 15 and I kissed her and OCD then tells me I'm a sexual paedophile because I kissed someone under the age right. of 16. Yeah. Uh, incorrect. It's actually quite normal for people to kiss. Um, most people had boyfriend, girlfriends, 15, 16, but the power of OCD um, made me panic and worry. So it led me to um, avoiding relationships with females. So I just sort of don't want to get a friend, you know, because I must be this bad person. So the damage it does yeah. there, the loss of years of um, not having a girlfriend, doesn't mean everyone should have a girlfriend. But if you wanted to choose that option, that uh, OCD's prevented that. I um, met my wife when I was 23. We've been married 32 years now. Um, I went through a stage, people call it relationship type OCD. I don't like acronyms i think it's just ocd but it's just a different guys i had a I had irrational thoughts and fears that she didn't love me anymore so i'd repetitively call her 20 30 times a day just to get the reassurance and as we know with ocd reassurance seeking is that is another compulsion so the more i was ringing her the more i was feeling absolutely at the time i didn't know it was ocd um we sort of discussed it whether i was just a jealous person and it wasn't jealousy i didn't want to be that way but OCD made me be that way. Um, I think around the age of twenty-eight, wife fell pregnant, um, and she had full, she had a emergency cesarean. Um, the baby weighed eleven pound. Although that wow. was a tra traumatic birth for her, it wasn't for me because some yes. men do really struggle with um, with traumatic birth experiences, which can lead on to PTSD and OCD. When the baby was born, um, I had checking signs checking to see if he was mine which is what the ocd yeah. loves to feed on so yeah i was i was looking at signs of his face his nose and then going back checking things from nine months previous making sure and convinced myself that i was the father at this time you still put on a brave face and you look like you're you know you're quite actively normal we call it um high functioning um in ocd where you're actually sh holding down a full-time job but you are struggling severely um both mentally you know trying to work out things 
um, had quite bad checking behaviours. I would check him all through the night to make sure he wasn't dying or suffocating from the blankets going over his face. Um, mm. Back in that, then them times, you know, really had phone cameras, but I know people uh, with this type of fear actually take images of the baby to make sure he isn't dying so they can keep checking and checking. Yeah. But obviously, again, um, it's a it's a lousy solution. It also affected um, when Karen was breastfeeding, they used to have sexually intrusive thoughts. She was enjoying it, but actually it wasn't. Yes. It was just the fact that your brain tells you. And um, when, when uh, he was away from me, uh, I was fear that he was being harmed by other people. So I took quite a good control. So it appeared that you're a good father. Actually, you're taking on that extra safety-seeking behaviours. You know, oh, Ashley's a great father, isn't he? Actually, I was, but I was being OTT because of the OCD. Um, making making formula milk bottles took, that was my job. But uh, what would normally take 20 minutes would take me sometimes two hours because you feared you'd overdose the bottles and you were going to contaminate the baby. The second child came along, three-year gap. Um, didn't have too many problems uh, with Jess. Uh, felt, I felt that because I'd experienced what I'd experienced before with a baby, I was sort of prepared mentally for it to come along, but it, it didn't seem as bad. Um, the, yes. age, the age of 35, um, the children were five and three at the time, had horrendous thoughts that I'd, I'd harmed them when they were babies, and the images were so strong. Um, however hard I tried to rid myself of them, they kept coming back stronger and stronger and also um what we class as mental contamination i felt dirty inside so i tried yeah. to brush myself out with water as we know um with ocd there is physical harm to the body that can happen if you're drinking too much water you can affect your kidneys luckily i i wasn't yes. i also used um it's, a, it's an interesting one a lot of people use alcohol as a coping mechanism i used it as a compulsion because i found that if I had plenty of alcohol in my system, it reduced the anxiety and also stopped yes. thoughts from happening. Yeah. But unfortunately, um, what I always say is that you can um, you can face a hundred thousand steps with um, aid of alcohol, but the next day you're going to have to find a million on your own. Um, so yeah, the, the repercussions of alcohol and, and hangovers do not go very well with OCD. And not uncommon in OCD, um, I confessed that I thought I'd done bad things when they were babies. And then you you confess because you need to know for certain that you haven't done these things. So confessing in OCD is, is not uncommon either. We've known people to visit police stations convinced they've murdered someone based off of the intrusive thoughts, but they haven't. But that's the power of OCD. So I confessed and drove off and stood on a cliff, not with intentions of suicide. I don't know why I went to the a seaside resort, and then I see a Samaritan sign, and I thought, I think you need some help, Ash. So I drove to a local accident emergency, and I was seen by a, a triage nurse and a consultant psychiatrist at the time, and that's when they were, I was given confirmation of a diagnosis of OCD and that I wasn't a bad person, and we informed the wife. Yes, yeah. I was then referred for CBT, um, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD with exposure response prevention. Uh, Three-week wait to see a therapist, but in typical OCD fashion, it told me it wasn't OCD, they're lying and they're making it up. I'm actually still this bad person. So on the week before the appointment, I rang up and said, actually, I feel physically okay. I'm back to normal. Actually, I wasn't. I was struggling. Yeah. During that yeah. period of, of sliding down, I, I was managing eight hours of work, which went down to two and then I could hardly work at all. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I'd lost two stone in the base, space of six weeks. 
going back to liberty, I uh, decided to research it. I'm a, I'm a fighter. If I think I yeah. can get better from something, I'll fight it. So luckily at the time, I came across um, a great article by Paul Salkoskis, which is is the leading yes. tea guy. And um, yeah. I basically followed his work and implemented CBT myself. So the work I did CBT-wise was self-help. Um, wife helped. We all worked as a group together. And within six to seven months, I'd gone on to make a full recovery. Um, I didn't have wow. any issues of with OCD. And since then, um, since then, it's 19 years this month, um, I've not had any relapse at all, despite and knowing that stressful events can um, make you have relapses. I lost my brother. Um, I've had other stressful events. So I was prepared, right. but it never came. Yes. Uh, yeah. Year ago, I become a granddad for the first time, and it's a totally different experience now than it was to when my children were here. So yeah, everything's you know, tickety boo. So yeah, that's really sticking my story. I mean, I could cover um, many different types of OCD. Had the interesting one with, with me, I had my OCD waxed and waned. I'd probably go several months without any OCD, then it would reappear, and in, in a new, you know, new type would come along. So yeah, I've had many variants, but. For me, diagnosis was key. Diagnosis was half the battle, knowing what the problem was. Yeah. Yes. And there wasn't no Absolutely. history of trauma, no traumas at all in my in my history. It was just one of those things, bad luck, we call it. So yeah, that's that's my OCD story. Your journey is pretty remarkable because I, I, you know, I follow you on Twitter because you're very vocal, aren't you, about sharing experiences? And mm. one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, and I was so glad that you said yes, is that people, I think, can learn so much from lived experience as well as books. Yeah, I mean, I, textbooks, I, reading kind of. I did a talk once, and there was a lady in the audience, and um, she spoke to me afterwards. And she said, "You've really light bulb moment me. She was never going to have children because." Um, she had a fear that she was going to harm and so she was married right. she had this yeah. element but something resonated and um she decided to go ahead with it so yeah she we we, we prepped them so the, so the perinatal team were there during the pregnancy the perinatal ocd team and she's got now got two children so basically wow. sharing your lived experiences um yeah and i always say um we shouldn't let ocd prevent us from doing what we want to do you know when we do yeah. go through things or we want to do things it is difficult but we can go on and achieve the things we, we want to do, even if OCD is running alongside. You know, if you've got the tools on board, you can. I mean, some some women decide not to have children at all. Not not through, um, sometimes it can be OCD, but sometimes it's a personal choice. And um, I always say, I shouldn't, I don't think you should let OCD stop you from having children, but if it's a personal choice, that's your choice, because it is stressful bringing the child up, as we know. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That difference between values and being kind of dictated to by your thoughts. I guess one of the things I wanted to come back to, if that's okay, so many, so many questions. <laughs> we could do a whole series on this, couldn't we? Um, it's just that question about what OCD is and what OCD isn't. Because sometimes people hear about OCD and what comes to mind is overt behaviours such as hand washing, things that we can see people doing. And perhaps one of the things we could do today is dispel some of the myths that OCD is just about hand washing tidying yeah. switching things on and off checking behaviors that are just in a certain kind of 
area. But actually, from what you've said already, a lot of OCD is internal, isn't it? That sometimes we can be doing mental, or sometimes I call it mental filing with some patients, that a lot of it can be internal and people would have no idea what you're battling. And there's kind of two elements of that for me, that actually at the time, people might not know what you're battling, but also when you have had treatment, that even though people on the outside might think you're doing fine, there's still quite a lot that you mentally still have to be doing every day, don't you, to manage these intrusive thoughts. Absolutely. And also, um, even someone, if someone is washing their hands repetitively, if it's in a visual way, they feel ashamed of doing that, they'll retract from doing the contamination. Yes. And they'll do the contamination yep. internally. So they, they're having two lots of things going on at the same time. You know, they're not going to yes. wash their hands now, but what I'll do is try and rid myself of these feelings by doing uh, mental compulsions, by, you know, counting numbers to prevent that harm from coming. Yeah. Yes. And I wonder whether it's the stuff that's hidden that people may not then pick up on, because I'm really interested in your later life diagnosis as well, you know, in terms of perhaps people that might be listening now and, and, and thinking about someone they know, whether they might have OCD, that, that some of this stuff isn't so obvious. That no, a lot exactly. of these behaviours wouldn't be obvious to somebody. Exactly. So they, they, these different, I mean, I helped with Rose Bretcher when she wrote the book Puro. I got an article in the book, and then that went on to Channel 4. Um, I'm not a fan of the term puro. Um, some people like it because it gives a descriptor of what's actually happening to the mental. Right. Um, yeah. But I always worry that if someone goes to the GP and they go, oh, I think I've got puro, and the GP's going, well, what's that? You know, if you say you've got OCD. I think I think a lot of people with, who term it puro think that they don't have any outward compulsions, but actually they are there. Right. You know, uh, Googling yes. one, I'll Google my illness, uh, you know, reassurance seeking. Um, there's a lot of, one of the breakdown points I found was really beneficial was actually working out the types of compulsions you're doing and you can write them yes. down and see what you're doing and then you, oh yeah oh yeah I'm doing that I? and certain things you do in a way to try and get a sense of relief yeah absolutely yeah. and that's it so I guess for some people that may be listening that have never really heard much about what OCD is or never really thought about it before because some people may be attracted to the podcast because they have it or they support somebody with it um, is that actually you know in its essence people have these severe intrusive thoughts and the thinking is that people engage in certain behaviors that might be mental behaviors or physical behaviors that you can see in order to kind of neutralize or reduce the distress associated um, and, it, and there are some schools of thought that would call that kind of thought action fusion that if I you know when I have this thought in order to get rid of it I need to do these behaviors and that's where you can then develop cycles that you have to do certain amounts of behaviors or certain types of behaviors in order to feel better um, and sometimes there is a bit of a myth isn't there that we can stop thoughts but intrusive thoughts will come they can be intense they can you know be high frequency low frequency and as you said you'll notice peaks and troughs in, in when yours come um, and for somebody listening if they are concerned about someone what was it do you think that made you take that first step to kind of reach out for support either yourself or perhaps if someone else is thinking about having a conversation even with someone is there anything you can think of to tell people if 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 you think or you fear, feel that you, I mean, a lot of people do self-diagnose, don't they? But if you feel that you are that, yes, yeah. in that slope, um, I'd go to a charity, speak to OCD Action, OCD UK, Maternal OCD, specifically, you know, yes. mum, um, and you know, join us online support group, you know, talk to people who have experienced what you're going through. Then you might get that yeah. diversion then to reach out. I think, the, I think the hard part is with OCD, and a lot of mental illness is that people only reach out when they reach rock bottom, don't they? If we yes. can do that yeah. earlier intervention. Um, 
Yeah. Some people, I mean, we all know every human gets intrusive thoughts, particularly when babies come along, you know, this yes. yeah. responsibility, what if I drop baby down the stairs? It really is, yeah. Yeah, you know, so we did research and we knew, and everyone reports intrusive thoughts, but it's the damage they do to you when they become repetitive and what you have to do to try and get that sense of relief. Though we always say is that compulsions are always a lousy solution to having obsessions already. You know, so and getting people well, you know, making them believe that it, when you reach someone, I mean, I've met many people with OCD on different levels of severity, um, how you can make someone go in and engage into CBT to get themselves better, you know, and yes. way yeah. we're doing things at the moment is not great. Should we try something different for the next three months? That doesn't work. We'll go back to where we are now. And that, you know, that getting that, get, regaining that life back, isn't it? As for yes, getting someone, it is absolutely yes. Someone to need, you know, if you feel that you have the, these thoughts or images or urges or you know the different types of intrusions, we get reach out, reach out for help as soon as you can. You know, don't be alone. You'll be surprised how many people have similar things going through their brains that they are um, struggling with. Yeah. And it's exactly that, Sue, as you said at the beginning, there can be stigma associated with this and that can be a barrier, can't it, to seeking support. But um, I know I don't want to overuse the word, but trying to normalise, I am going to use the word, I've done it, haven't I? <laughs> Normalising conversations, that first start to go, do you know what, I'm not alone in this. And you brought something in earlier as well, that kind of, you know, self-blame, this is me, I'm a bad person, you know, that kind of sense of self that can get destabilized with something like OCD that can also be a barrier so one of the topics you know that's quite a difficult one to address but I think is really important is that in my 20-year career or 22-year career I've worked with a lot of people who have intrusive thoughts about harm to others um, sexualized thoughts and there can be additional shame and stigma attached to that which can stop people reaching out but actually it's such a common thing isn't it and starting to have those conversations and um how people can be supported to be okay with having those conversations that's the problem you know when people go in oh i think i might have accidentally touched my daughter's vagina when i was yes. you know nappy yes by disclosure yeah. they've they've got a fear of being misjudged and sadly yeah. they're 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 not as common as they used to be but there is cases where unnecessary safeguarding procedures are put into place and and it, it's horrendous from anyone who has to go through that. Really is, that yeah. yeah. But we have nice guidelines now where if you're, as a professional, unsure, get someone in who's an OCD professional and do the assessment. As Paul Salcosta says, if he was to have anyone to look after his children, it'd be someone with OCD because we're the safest people to have around. In fact, yes. we've never yes. ever met anyone who's acted on their thoughts apart from carrying out compulsions, yes. yeah. That's a really good point. So any professionals listening as well. So for people that might not be familiar, so NICE Guidance is the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. So their guidance, good practice guidance on how to work with physical health, mental health conditions. But it's really important, isn't it? Because actually some people as well can just shy away. Absolutely. from those kind of topics not want to go near it again and that can increase the stigma keep that that cycle going and as you say I've worked with a lot of when I used to work in um, adult mental health I've worked with a lot of young mums um, who you know with newborns who suddenly have onset OCD intrusive thoughts who are cleaning scrubbing houses at three four in the morning not knowing what this is who are tired sleep deprived but also mums parents fathers who are also experiencing as you say intrusive thoughts about potential harm yeah. to their child and it's a really difficult thing and the other thing i wanted to bring in as well is that 
I'm really glad you mentioned the fact that actually it, it can be really emotionally and physically draining to manage this, yes. can't it? And I always think, and I do a lot of work with patients to help their support system know what that can be like to deal with, to, to be managing the frequency and the intensity of intrusive thoughts and the compulsions that go along with them. Um, yeah, I mean, with Fiona Chalicum uh, and maternal OCD, you know, we know that on average, I think the percentage of people who suffer with OCD in the country is between 1% to 2%. We've now yes. discovered in yeah. mums it's nearly as high as 7%. Gosh, um, wow. So um, the fascinating thing is uh, that some mums have never had it before, and all of a sudden baby comes yes. along, and there's been reports. Yeah. But that support network is so critical, especially during therapy, because, um, yes. you know, everyone's involved, aren't they, with CPT? Because there's no good you doing your CPT and the person you're living with is actually making your OCD worse. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That reminds me of some kind of conversations going around at the moment in the kind of mental health community. And I think you were part of some as well of that, you know, that not just the person themselves being responsible. Yeah. That it's looking at the system as well. And there's been some recent press articles, haven't there, around looking at the role of therapy and how that fits into the person and their system as well. And what needs to change around them? So is it all right? Could you elaborate a bit more? Because I think that's really important and interesting for people to hear about how the system around the person may maintain OCD, how perhaps people could think differently about their role if they're supporting or living with somebody. You know, a prime example would be if, if the person you're living with you're the person, they say the person you're your partner you're living with um, is repetitively giving you reassurance. Yes. They're feeding in. So let's, let's do a little contract together, as we call it, and say, look, yeah, you, yes. you are going to ask for it. Um, perhaps I'll give you it once. Next time we give it, let's have a hug. Let's do something supportive. Let's do something different. Yes. And then let's challenge the OCD and then rather than us, you know, collaborating and making it worse. Yeah, joined up yes. partnership, isn't it? Yeah. So that kind of, I guess if it's all right to use the word as well, it's kind of psychoeducation work, helping people understand what OCD is and how perhaps, you know, meaning well. So if someone's doing what we call reassurance seeking behaviour and then you're replying to them, that actually that can keep the problem going or keep the circle going, as, as we say in psychology, and that it can be useful to help people understand what's helpful and what's not helpful. Exactly, because um, especially like there's three other people involved. And, um, you know, if, if, for instance, a person's got severe contamination issues, you know, everyone has to take their clothes off before they come in the house, don't they? Yes. All that stuff. Yes. So, and then that has to be all joined in together, doesn't it? And working together and going yeah. through them um, hierarchies up the ladders to get yourself back to a good position. Yeah. And there will be bumps Absolutely. in the road, won't there? You know, it's it's not it's not if if CBT was easy, OCD wouldn't exist. Yes. Yes. Some, and that's an interesting point, I mean, isn't it? People I've met I had five sessions. Well, yeah, I'm fully recovered now. You know, wow. fantastic. Yeah. Other people, it's a lifelong illness. I don't like the word chronic, yes. but you know, for some people, it doesn't ever go away. But they can manage it, can't they? Yeah, yes. I find that fascinating. Um, you know, with everyone involved, you know, making someone better. Sell. Some people do go into full recoveries. Some people go well for many years and have a relapse, and other people just bump along, don't they? Yeah. Yes. But obviously, yeah. <laughs> OCD. Most people who present with OCD don't just present with OCD, do they? normally have depression social anxiety sometimes yes. general anxiety so there's this big picture you know we don't just you don't just treat the ocd you treat the big picture don't you yeah 
Because I'm thinking as well, actually, for a lot of people that I've worked with and um, kind of collaborated with over the years, that sometimes when you are battling, and and I'm going to use the word battling, that sometimes it can be really hard to manage intrusive thoughts, that sometimes that does have an impact on your mood, as you say, and and, um, as well, there can be coexisting conditions. So it's really important to take that holistic picture, isn't it, and to to not just over-focus. But also, some people say, are you better now? Those kind of terms, are you over it? Do you still have all of those terms that I'm sure you're familiar with as well? and you said something earlier on which was interesting as well as obviously as we're navigating life life throws us some curveballs you know we've had a pandemic we've got cost of living crisis war in ukraine sometimes there will be destabilizers you know in the world but in your own personal circumstances that might then lead brain to kind of engage maybe into threat mode and that could potentially sometimes lead to increased frequency intensity duration of uh, intrusive thoughts and kind of being aware for the person experiencing it, but also those that are supporting them, that there may be what we call peaks and troughs Absolutely. in how they're managing it and what support they need. Is there anything for you? So I'm kind of thinking in my days in adult mental health, sometimes we would do kind of relapse or support plans that um, significant others would then have shared with them about what they want and what they don't want in terms of support. Is that something that you've come across or, you know, in, in terms of you navigating your condition, you know, how do you communicate with people what's helpful for you and what's not? I think you just tell them your story. I mean, obviously, your life changes after, during and after recovery. Important yes, part with, yeah. if you're doing nine hours of compulsions a day and you've got it down to two, you've got to replace them seven hours with good stuff. Because yes, you've been that's it, you know, yes. I've been doing that now. Yeah. I've got to do this now. You go, oh, what am I doing myself? You know, what am I going to do now? Um, Good sleep hygiene, I found was helpful. Um, reducing the alcohol content, you know, good right. diet, little and often little yes. things that you know. Yes. I think with OCD, sometimes you forget to eat, or you're so anxious you can't yeah. eat. You know, literally, you just yes. can't physically eat. So it, yeah. you're getting something into the system, and it's you're fighting a war, aren't you? So you need power, but it's very difficult. But it's that vicious loop, isn't it? I think you know. People ask me. So you don't have intrusive thoughts anymore then, Ash? Well, no, I don't. I don't have that incidences where I'm in situations. And you talked about going through pandemics, what I've been through. I think um, the CBT, you know, obviously for OCD, was good, but also many components of it have helped me during my life. You know, I've got this rough yeah. tools and I, and you know, everyone's like, oh, God, it's a pandemic. What do yeah. we do? You know, and I'm like, whoa, just stop. <laughs> you know, let's do one day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. grounding, a little bit like grounding stuff with um you know, putting your feet like the PTSD, you know, being that fearful. Yes, yeah. Stop and live in that moment. Yeah, that's that's really that kind of brain's tendency to kind of run away in panic mode, a bit like when we all went out and bought toilet roll and (laughs) and things that, you know, sometimes you just get really caught up in that threat mode, don't you? I really like that term you were saying, kind of toolkit, virtual toolkit, virtual backpack, you know, that you've got things to rely on. I'm just wondering how useful it is to, A, know it's there, but to have different things. Because one of the things you wanted to talk about is, you know, what helps you? And I love the fact that you've broadened it out into things you need to be doing for your kind of well-being baseline generally, as well as more targeted things for OCD. Is there anything else do you think that's helped or anything else that people need to hear about that's useful in terms of managing and supporting? I think, um, I just think I'm a busy person, you know, like I'm always doing something. I run the cricket club. Yeah. And there's always, what I I learned was, um, is to not be a plate spinner. You know, when you're trying to do too much, then you end up it's going to crash. And it's, yes. yeah, yeah. You, you look at sure your we've life, all been there. You, yeah, you do your blocks, don't you? you? Go, yeah, that's what I'm doing today. That's what I'm doing today. And 
you're planning, you're planning, aren't you? You're not going yeah. rushing around like a headless chicken because I always say sometimes with mental health is that if you didn't have a, the mental health, call it a breakdown, you'd probably drop dead of a heart attack otherwise. And it's like your brain saying, stop, you need to stop because yeah. you're just doing yeah. so much. And the brain goes, nope, not, not doing this anymore. A bit like a, a, bit like a Zencaster that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best metaphor ever. So if we'd taken our listeners' injury, if we'd taken us like 40 minutes ago where we couldn't hear each other and the platform was just not playing ball, is that actually we could have both gone into fret mode and gone, let's not do this, let's run and hide. But... We persevered. <laughs> you persevered more than me. Um, <laughs> but it just shows, doesn't it, the human condition, how we can just navigate through things. Do you know what really has struck me, actually, is that difference then between keeping busy as perhaps a distraction or even avoidance method versus purposeful engagement in life, doing things that are of value. And I know because you do so much. I was just trying to think, how do we squish this all in? And I will put links on for people to things that you do but you write a blog but you do so much support and training for others and research how does that help you personally is that all right to ask i i you know i i, I get a buzz out of it and, and yeah I'm not, I'm not constantly thinking about it i'm always thinking about yeah. not thinking about ocd is the wrong exactly thinking about um ways we can make things even better you know yes yeah OCD, what we can do you know research i mean we know that Fiona's work, they've now got the centre at London, the CADAP, and it's um, specifically for parents with children up to the age of three. So we know that if they have right. intense CBT over the 10 to 12 weeks, rather than doing it yes. over the three or four recovery rates, yes. quicker, yes. there's less impact on the children. So I helped with that project. Right, and I it's quite fascinating to see, you know, that you've literally given up your life for 10 to 12 weeks as a parent, all of you, you know, you're going in there, getting it done, and you're coming away, aren't you? Yeah. And that, that's interesting because obviously sometimes nine months of therapy with, you know, with a baby, et cetera, it can be quite tough. Oh, good grief, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I do, I do, I don't, uh, I, I do it because I really enjoy it. Um, and like today at half past one, I've got a um, training um, health visitors, uh, noticing signs with dads, perinatal, paternal OCD, yeah. And I've been doing quite a few for them. And they're learning. Right, yes. Know, one of yeah. the great questions is uh, from Alfred, how do I how do I know or what signs do I spot? How can I, you know? Yes. We, yeah. we worked at, um, with Mark Williams and trying to get nice guidelines for fathers as well because there's mums, mums over there separately, was that how we can try and screen dads without screening them in a in a horrible way, you know, how's dad? Yes. No one ever asked yes. me, Ash put the kettle on, how's mum? You know, absolutely, yes. Point of, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's been quite an interesting project. As well as OCD at the age of 35, and I probably knew throughout my life, I also got diagnosed with Tourette's. So I've right. um, done a lot of work it, it, with Tourette's uh, action, and especially in the scientific side, there's some great things coming out of that. So, yeah, but what that allowed me, the, 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 the OCD diagnosis allowed me to understand that um, with Tourette's, you do get intrusive thoughts, but they don't bother yes. you. You know, so you can have the images yes. and then it's like, oh, there's Tourette's in it, yeah. Where before it was intertwined, so I could undo. That distress, it. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Now it's like, yeah. Oh, and that resulting need to neutralise, to, exactly. to minimise yeah. the, the thought. Because one of your specific areas of interest is, isn't it, paternal OCD? Yeah. Um, and you're doing some really interesting stuff there. So if they're, you know, people that will be listening to this, and that's another reason why we're to have you on is, you know, I love the fact that you're educating people about what to look out for, but also, you know, if you're somebody living 
with someone and you're noticing that in a male, in a dad, is there anything that you think would be useful for our listeners? It's very interesting because uh, when my grandson was born, um, my son was at the, in the hospital in Cambridge where we live, um, he actually messaged me and he said, I can't believe it, Dad, your, your work's inside the men's toilets. So it actually wow. says if you're having these uh, yes. things going on, yeah. these may need to go to. Um, so educate psychoeducation in, in yeah. um, you know, in what they call it before they have children, the parent, um, antenatal club. Kind of antenatal, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And saying to dads, you know, this can happen, you know, and we, yes. know, we know now that dads do get postnatal depression. And we do know they, that absolutely. PTSD after a traumatic birth, and um, that's a lot. Yes, that's a lot yeah. of important stuff there. But it really is. It's a lot more awareness there now, isn't there? You know, dads. Yeah. You know, when my father probably never witnessed the birth, did he? You know, men just went yes. to birth and the women yeah. got on with it, basically. But yes. now yeah. we have men that are there at the birth, and also men who are stay-at-home dads, aren't they? You know, so yes. the, yeah, it's gone the other way. So we might be seeing increasing internal mental illness because a lot more fathers now work from home or do things differently compared to they did 25 years ago yeah yes so maybe kind of changes and things some of those stabilizing factors and and i think if this because that's always the thing for me one of my little areas of interest is how we start to have some of these difficult conversations so i don't know if there's any kind of words of wisdom that you could give if someone is struggling and a significant other's notice perhaps how we could begin if there is a magic way to do that to perhaps bring the subject up if the person themselves isn't doing that or seeking support i think um i think it's just being open honest and vocal um saying yeah. that you know you know yeah. we think there might be something wrong reach out you know speak to yes. somebody don't suffer in silence and don't delay that either because sooner you're in you know involved with professionals the more likelihood you are going to recover aren't you quicker not yeah. lose them lost years but yeah it's always hard i think that you know that um being able to open up for the first time it must be really difficult yes. you know yeah. how you can make someone do it um sometimes <laughs> if if you think someone has got ocd you can leave like a leaflet on the side you know it's not the point of yes. thinking at them you're just going Oh, I read this the other day. What do you think? Yeah. And yes. I like that really kind of open question, yeah. Yeah. you know, rather than the you must go and get help. So, you know, perhaps a kind of a gentler way in. And I love the fact as well, you said some of that psychoeducation work you've been doing, just something as simple as seeing a poster yeah. on a wall to start to plant that seed. And again, coming back to your point earlier about just beginning to normalize these conversations to perhaps reduce the stigma and the shame. Yeah. perhaps the self-blame that, that comes along with that um in terms of kind of are you working on anything interesting that we haven't covered in terms of paternal ocd or other other projects at the moment because i know you're involved in so much aren't you, you do so much great work i'm having a student at birmingham um dr andy myers forwarded it to me which is just doing right. a um, phd in uh, fathers with ocd um right what we want to know the, the main focus really is um some dads get OCD um, when they become a father, but never had OCD before. You know, yes. not looking at yeah. looking at it might be a cause we don't know, um, but you know, just investigating why some dads go that way. You know, why they yes. get OCD. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, there can be a biological cause with women um, with hormones yeah. changes. Kind of will be discovered um, when dad becomes a father. His testosterone level was dropped down to basement for the first right. couple of weeks. Yeah, so. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's all little, little things that are, 
you know we're looking into so yeah i think i think personally i'd like to say to dad who's going to become a father first time to yes make them aware of what could happen during yeah. that first three years thousand and one days yes. before it don't we yeah so they're aware you know yes a lot of men the problem is with leaflets that just get thrown to the side don't we where um we've got a friend who's he um designed dad's app it's basically aimed yeah. at specifically for fathers right yeah it's part of our yes. work it's all gone into this one app i think um prince william used it actually right <laughs> yeah. i'll make sure i tag that on to That's our dad episode page, notes dad for this. yeah and, and right it's a great resource for any dad that comes along you know it's there what and as we say normally just get thrown away don't they yes yeah something that's there it's accessible so i'm just thinking as well you know when we look at kind of stigma that's something that's discreet you can read in your own time come back to um sometimes even just the kind of you know the psychology behind an app that there's enough need for it that an app has been developed might be helpful for people to know and if I could literally talk to you all day. I'm going to have to get you back on. Yeah. I said that to every guest. Yeah, we could just even just, we could do a whole episode almost just around paternal um, OCD. Maybe we could do a more focused episode on that at another point if you'd love to come back. Where can people find you if they need to find out more about you? Because I know you, you're on Twitter. <laughs> obviously you have a Twitter's, blog, don't you, Twitter's as well? the main <laughs> place, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um, obviously, my, my um, Twitter by um, name is Ash. Ash Curry OCD. The the hashtag I use for uh, my blog is Ask Ash OCD. Now that was started about uh, seven years ago. I used to do weekly talks on Twitter. Right. OCD. Yeah. And we'd have yes. professionals in. Paul Zakoskas used to join in. Um, you know, Great. Paternal OCD were in their infancy then, and then became a recognised sign by my uh, hashtag by Mind. So Mind had a list of hashtags that were ones you should follow on Twitter. Um, yes. So Ask Ash OCD was one of them. But after about four years, we gave it up. We, or we think it served its purpose, but that'll always remain on Twitter sphere, won't it? Because it'd be actually. Yes. Yeah. 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 Simple thing yeah. to search as well. Yeah. So, yes, that's my main area of social media is, is, uh, is you know, the um, um, Ash Curry OCD. That's where I dwell most of the time, mental health wise. Yeah. So I'll put a link in the show notes to your blog that you have to your twitter but also i'll put a link to some of the charities you said because what i really liked is that some people who may not feel ready to go straight in for more formal support might want to just talk with other people um so i'll put a linking for um the charity that you mentioned but also the app as well for people because i think it's really good for having it's brilliant things it that people can actually. click on straight away to help them in, in that journey i've done some work with various trust we have um, infographics yeah that's really yes. it's a lot of nhs yes. trust. i've got my infographics on there you can just go on there and it'll, and that's on the uh, institute of visiting page as well um okay to mention book you know, yes absolutely people. yes um uh, rob wilson and david Ville brought out part two um new book overcoming ocd which is a fantastic um self-help book brilliant yeah um break free from ocd by paul selkoskas is a and others is another great yes, book. Yeah. Uh, Fiona's just Fiona Chalicum, um, Kathy Green and Victoria Bree have just released Break Free from Maternal Anxiety. So that's right. a great book, the self help, you know, to give yourself some knowledge and tools to get out of it. I mean some people I do, will make sure some I people put do them do in the notes as well. You know, some people you meet yes. people, do self help, self diagnose and go on to lead a really good life. Yeah. 
and absolutely i'm so glad you said that yeah you know for some people they may want to go down a formal route but it's i think autonomy is really important and i think that's really important isn't it obviously in terms of progress doing what works for you yeah absolutely I will put those in the show notes. So I always ask my little signature move. We've got so many nuggets of brilliant bits of information. But if you could give us one adversity takeaway, one little nugget of coping with OCD or about OCD, what would it be? Knowledge is the power. Wow. The more knowledge you have on board, the better life will become. You know, and it, yes. it, it, as Paul says, it's a very treatable illness. Access yeah. to CBT yeah. vital, you know, and can go on to lead a life where OCD is not a problem anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that value laden life, I'm going to sneak that in at the end there, you know, getting back to or discovering yeah. things that you want to be doing, you know, so as I say, kind of imagining OCD as this little person, and you said you may need to drag them along with you some days, but you're still doing what you want to be doing, even if they're showing up as well. Ash Curry, thank you so much. I'm so delighted that you came on. Pleasure. Um, and hopefully you'll come back again. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist Podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo, and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work, and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist Podcast helping you one step at a time.